Welcome into the Get Out of Form podcast. I'm your host, Joe Wilkie. I apologize for not meeting last week. I was helping a friend move and just had a lot of things on the plate and uh, did not get to an episode, but wanted to come back with an episode this week that hopefully helps, especially if you're somebody that is in, in church, in Christendom. Um, I wanted to discuss the common myths, and a lot of these things are common myths specifically for church members because we're kind of cocooned from the rest of the world. We know that the the world is into pornography, but that's not happening in the church, things like that. And so I wanted to get into the common myths that you will often hear. If I don't fly through these, then maybe we'll do a part two on this. But just to start, the first common myth that people believe, not necessarily even say, but they believe is that I'm alone. I'm alone. Nobody else struggles with this, or if they do, very few struggle with it. It's just the pervs. It's just the bad people. And so you have a 15-year-old kid who's keeping it inside, and he won't tell anybody. He's scared to tell anybody because he's alone and they won't understand and they'll judge me and they'll hate me and they'll think that I'm a pervert because only perverts look at porn. That could be another another one on its own is that it's just perverts who look at porn. That's not true. But this idea of I'm alone hurts a lot of people because it causes us to feel like we need to figure this out on our own, alone. Because if I'm struggling with this alone and I can't tell anybody lest they start judging me, I better figure this out alone. You can't. This is an intimacy disorder. You're not alone in this. Statistically speaking, 65 to 70% of guys in your congregation are struggling or are regularly looking at pornography. Conservative statistics will say maybe 60%. um, Pastors or preachers of a congregation, leaders of a congregation are 50%. So yeah, I mean, this is a problem. This is a real problem. I'm I'm alone. Uh, That's a myth. Again, nobody's necessarily saying it, but that's something that if you grew up in the church, you're probably more prone to believe. That was me. I specifically remember thinking, like, I mean, nobody else struggles with this. Meanwhile, I had people incredibly close to me who were struggling, and I never talked with them about it. People that really could have helped me through this, but I was alone. So I had to keep this to myself. You're not alone. Statistics bear out, and, and I've worked with people from all over the nation. Statistically, I think it bears out. You're talking 65 to 70% of guys are struggling with this. It may not be an everyday addiction. It may not even be once a week. They're regularly looking at porn. They're going to this when they shouldn't. It is a real problem. We cannot believe that we're alone. You're not alone. But common myth number two dovetails with this, which is that porn rarely affects the church. We track almost one for one with the world, not with women pornography. Statistically, they're about 11% um, for the younger age group that goes up to around 19% in the church, whereas the world is tracking at about one in three. But they have other issues as well. There's a lot of women, church women, that got into reading Fifty Shades of Grey, things like that. That isn't necessarily pornography, but it might as well be. It's erotica is pretty much uh, the same for a woman uh, in terms of taking their mind to places it doesn't need to be. It's fantasizing, and we would call a man out for fantasizing as well, but this, that's what these books bring about. But it is a myth to say that porn rarely affects the church. In my opinion, it's almost worse in church because you're throwing so much more shame on top of it. People in the world look at porn, it's like, yeah, that's what a guy does, just looks at porn. People in the church, people in Christianity know that's wrong. We know we ought not to be lusting after these women. And so we bring this extra layer of shame on top of it, and that makes it so much more difficult to get out of because we're dealing with a lot of self-loathing. Now, this initially starts from trauma and a lot of self-loathing usually to begin with, and we actually perpetuate the problem through porn. We're trying to escape self-loathing by running to porn, and then it perpetuates the self-loathing But this is very prevalent in the church because of that, because of the guilt that we feel. 
So the idea that Portland rarely affects the church is absolutely a myth. It very much does. We almost track perfectly with the world, which is very sad to believe. But you know what? The church has emotionally hurting men too. That's the basis of addiction. We run to it for our emotional wounds. We run to it to get away from the problems we're experiencing. And we have men and women in the church that are still struggling with it. It doesn't mean we're cocooned from reality. Porn does affect the church. The third common myth is that porn is just a bad habit. It's not actually an addiction. Now, I've had an entire um, an entire podcast episode on this, so I'll keep it brief. But that is a myth. It's not just a bad habit. It can lead to addiction. Sometimes it is. The guy who's looking at it once or twice a month knows he needs to stop, but hey, it really is one of those, like he doesn't put things in place, and when he wants it, he wants it, but it's not going to, he's not going to have the withdrawal symptoms. He's not going to um, have the escalation in content necessarily or the inability to stop despite negative consequences. Those are markers of addiction, but this quickly turns into that if we're not careful. Porn is not just a bad habit. It, it can actually be an addiction. And again, even when it is a bad habit, it's a horrible habit at that for multiple reasons. Um, it does affect our dopamine response. It affects our ability to connect emotionally with other people, specifically people of the opposite sex. So men struggle to be around women. Um, the no fat movement makes this very clear that these guys that are watching porn all day in their basement have no social skills. And there is a lot of, they don't call it shame in the world. Um, because again, I think that's not distinct to Christianity, but kind of, um, a lot of shame there, but they have this social awkwardness of like, I don't think they look people in the eye. This is documented quite a bit, especially in Gary Wilson's book, Your Brain on Porn. They just struggle a lot to connect with people when they look at porn a lot. And this is all coming from, you could say, well, oh, that's just those in the worst throes of addiction. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It causes you to view women differently and to view them as objects. And objectification is never an okay thing. It's not good in in any circumstance. So whether you want to believe it's just a bad habit or an addiction, it's not good either way. But don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'll stop at any time. It's just a bad habit. If you've escalated in content and if you realize that there are withdrawal symptoms and you have a really difficult time stopping, you've tried and you can't, that's a problem. That's a problem. So the common myth so far, number one, I'm alone. Number two, porn rarely affects the church. These are myths. Number three, porn is just a bad habit, not an actual addiction. We know that it is. Number four, all Satan wants is for you to think sin is fun. And this is a key one. And this is one that I came across and I thought about maybe a decade ago, a long time ago. And I realized it kind of hit me one day. All you hear in the church is Satan just wants you to think sin is fun. That's really his job. He's, he's wanting you to think that sin is most fun. It's more fun than following God. And that's just not true. First off, sometimes sin is more fun. Let's call it as we see it. Sometimes sin is more fun. Going out and and having this party and sleeping with whoever you want to sleep with is more fun than sitting at home. But what's not fun is the venereal diseases you get. What's not fun is the emotional connection that you now, you gave this person a part of you. You gave this person um, your sexuality and you'll never see them again and it breaks the bond and, and, um, you know, the emotional wounds that come from that, like there is a massive amount of backlash and consequences on the back end of sin. But initially, yes, sin can be more fun. So does Satan want us to think sin is fun? No, what Satan wants you to believe is that you are too far removed from the hand of God, which speaks to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, is, is God's hand so short they cannot save? Of course it isn't, but our sins have made a separation between us and God. Satan wants us to think that our sins have separated us so far from God that we are beyond saving. 
Yeah, sometimes people fall into sin being more fun. I don't think Satan has to convince very many people of that. The consequences are horrible, and ultimately where we find joy and peace and happiness is within Christ, when we are pursuing holiness and pursuing a relationship with him. However, Satan really does want us to think that we are beyond relationship. That's what what gives him power, is that people go, I'm just, I'm too far gone. I'm not a good person, and therefore, I can act out my addiction. Therefore, what's the point of even trying? Because I'm too far gone. I'm too far away from being saved. That's a devastating thing, but a lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe they're too far gone. So this myth, it is a myth that Satan wants you to just think sin is fun. That's his whole job. No, his whole job is to separate you from Christ, to make you think you're too far gone. You never are God's love. His grace is sufficient. His grace is is a a well that never ends. It's that deep. I mean, you can always find the grace of God if you're willing to turn back to him. Satan wants to take that away and act like God's hand is too short. God's hand is not too short to save you. You could be at the lowest low point of your addiction. You could be, maybe you've been acting out for the last 30 days straight and you can't stop. And you start to believe God hates me. God is is not here for me. Um, And Satan is really twisting me. Yeah, that's because he wants you to think that you are too far gone. You're not. You're not. There's grace for that. Turn back to God. All you who are burdened and, and heavy laden, come to him. He'll give you rest. Allow God to work in your life by turning it over to him. And what that means is you have you develop a killer instinct of, I'm going to do whatever it takes. If that's therapy, if that's getting rid of my computer, my phone, if that's coming clean and getting accountable with everybody, telling everybody in my life, I'll do whatever it takes. That's what takes away Satan's power. Satan wants you to think that God can't save you. God absolutely can save you, but it starts with you being willing to be saved and you feeling that I absolutely need him to be saved. Myth number five is marriage will fix it. I've talked about this one before as well. Marriage simply will not fix it because it's not really about the sex. It can help because your wife, your spouse can provide positive um, attachment. But the problem is the first sign of them not providing that positive attachment, always turning towards you, the first time that they reject you for sex, the first time that they get angry at you, maybe yell at you and it triggers something back to your childhood, you'll run back to porn. Marriage doesn't fix it for that reason. It's because it didn't heal the emotional wounds. It put a band-aid over it. It's not a sexual issue where once I get free sex all the time, I won't have the problem. That's not how this works. Marriage is not intended to fix it. Marriage is intended to be a beautiful thing between a husband and a wife where they are connecting emotionally, but where two individuals are striving to be the best they can be individually and making something brand new together. Well, if you think that you can come at at 30% of your normal self and your wife will fill the other 70%, that's not fair. It's not fair to her. She shouldn't have to fill all your emotional needs. That is asking too much of her. And the moment she stops providing all 70% to make up your deficiencies, you get ticked. And when you get angry and when you feel rejected, when you feel worthless, what are you going to do? You're going to go back to the same addiction you've been struggling with. So marriage may fix it for a time and you start to think that's the case, but it won't continue to because you haven't done the real work of fixing the underlying issues. The moment you may, you were made to feel rejected and worthless in the marriage, which your spouse certainly isn't intending to do, but the moment that, maybe they are, but most of the time they're not, the moment that they make you feel that, you're going to run right back to the addiction and it's going to hurt. Marriage will not fix this issue. Number six, There's this common myth that I watch porn because I'm not being sexually fulfilled. That's not really true. 
Maybe in certain cases you say, my wife hasn't slept with me for forever and so I feel justified going to porn. Yeah, but you know what? Jesus went without sex for 33 years. It can be done. You say, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, there's plenty of monks that do it too. Plenty of people do this. The Apostle Paul, we have every indication of uh, every reason to believe that he went years and years and years without having sex and maybe his entire life. We don't know. It can happen and it can be done. So this idea that I have to have sex, no, you don't, first off. And second off, you run to porn for your own issues. Most of what happens when a wife pulls sex off the table, it's not the sexual frustration. It's not the physical as much as it's the emotional. She's rejecting me at my core. She's rejecting my desire for sex. She's rejecting my nakedness. She's rejecting my intimacy. She's rejecting me and the most intimate parts of me. It's the rejection that drives us back to porn more than anything. It's not just the physical fulfillment. We have to keep that in mind. The physical fulfillment, we may want to act out through masturbation. A lot of things we may want to do for the sexual fulfillment. But really, our libido is driven through emotional needs. You may disagree with that. You may say that's not true. What about testosterone? All those things. I think all the testosterone levels and libido, I think all of that is tied into emotional health. The reason why I think that is if you... I've worked with so many porn addicts who are viewing porn every single day and they say, I just have such a high libido, I have to have it. We work through their trauma and all of a sudden they don't want it and they can go a year without looking at porn, unmarried. Well, hold on a second, how does that work? I thought you had this high, raging high libido that you just had to fulfill. No, once we work through the trauma and the wounds and everything else that told you to run to sex to fill your needs, all of a sudden it went down. Sex is intended to be a celebration of something way better than just a mere physical thing. Yes, I do think there's a physicality to it, no doubt. But this myth that I watch porn because I'm not being sexually fulfilled, I think you watch porn because you're not being emotionally sustained, emotionally fulfilled when your wife turns down sex. I'm not saying it's okay for wives to go without sex. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians speaks very clearly to do not withhold except for a time of prayer and fasting. However, guys who aren't consistently getting it, that's no excuse or justification to go look at porn. You're watching porn because you're hurting. You're watching porn because you're emotionally depleted and you're trying to find something that will pick you up. At least that's my opinion. Seventh, you may, you, you may say, there's this comment like, I've tried everything, there's no fixing me. And I fell into this one bad. I've done everything I can. There's just no fixing me. I'm, I'm broke. And when you're broken, like... Who's going to put me back together? I've prayed to God. He's not listening. I can't tell anybody I'm alone, right? I, I this, this problem doesn't exist in the church, and so what am I supposed to do? I can't tell anybody, and I've tried everything, and I've done online things, and I've set up covenant eyes, and, and I have done everything that I know how to do. There's no fixing me. That's not true. It may feel like that, and I hurt for people like that because I was there at one point. I hurt for people like that. But I do believe that the scripture, when Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, of asking you will be given, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open to you, I think that connects to this right here. Keep clawing at it. Keep doing whatever you can and realize there's something we have not given up yet. And for me, I wasn't willing to humble myself. I did the 30-day programs online and read a ton of books and even had some accountability, like some, some brief accountability partners where I wasn't fully truthful. When I came out of it, it's because I said, I'm going to be a thousand percent truthful and I don't care about my reputation and I gave it all up. So had I really tried everything? No, I hadn't. When I did that and I was willing to pursue sobriety more than anything else in my life is when I started to find freedom. 
Porn is serving us in some way. Until we understand how it's serving us, we're never going to be able to break free. As long as we have it in the back of our minds that I need this as a coping technique, or this is my friend, or this is whatever it may be. This is what helps me belong. Things like that will keep porn in our lives. We have to know what it represents to us, why we're using it, and realize there's things we have not yet tried. We haven't tried everything. We may feel like we have, but we haven't. Have you gone to therapy? Have you worked through the emotional wounds, the, the trauma wounds? Those things matter. If you've gone through all of that work and still can't, I'd still say there's something something else going on. This is a fixable problem. I've worked with dozens and dozens and dozens of people, and that's just me alone. There are hundreds or thousands of therapists across the U.S. that specialize in sex addiction that work. We help people out of their addiction. This can happen. We're talking people at the very worst, at the furthest ends of prostitution and in all sorts of things that are unimaginable. That's okay. There's grace for that, first off. And second off, you can be fixed. You can be healed. Uh, the body and the mind has an incredible way of healing itself. It may take a little more time, depending on how long you've been doing it, depending on severity, but you can be fixed. Last common myth that I'll get to is God is not happy with me until I've been sober for a long time. Again, there's this myth that God is not happy with me until I've been sober for a long time. Once again, not true. It's just not true. God loves you. God is waiting for you to pursue him, to want him, to seek him with everything that you have. But God loves you more than anything. And we can say that God's looking down on us. He's basically ready to strike us down because we just haven't been sober or we relapse and it's going to, we have to basically be perfect for three days, for a week, for two weeks, whatever, to feel like we can approach God in prayer. Once again, been there, done that. Been there, done that. That's not how this works. God wants you reaching out to him and he wants you repenting of it and turning. You say, but I've tried repenting and I keep going back to it. God understands how addiction works. He does. He created the mind. God knows how addiction works. So he knows that you are struggling, you're in the throes of this, there's a, there's a chemical dependency, there is a, you know, at least from a dopamine perspective, and that there's an emotional uh, dependency on this. God realizes how it works, and so he knows there's, in my opinion, I think there's grace for that. What he's looking for is the heart. Do you want out of this? And when we just give into it over and over and over again, because we say, well, there's no fixing me, or I have to be perfect in order to approach God, no, you don't. God wants us to approach him in every situation. And you may have fallen for the 16th time in a week. He still wants you turning to him saying, I need you, God, get me out of this. And I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to lose whatever so as to find an, or to gain you. God loves you. He's on your team. He's not waiting to strike you down. He's on your team. He's on your side. If you've been baptized, if you put your faith in Christ, God is on your side and he's ready and willing to bless you. And even to those that that aren't um, what I would say saved and, and that aren't Christians, that have not been baptized for their mission of sins, that have not come to God and, and come through faith in Christ, for those that have not done that, I still think God wants you out of this addiction. And it's not a matter of him hating you while you're in it. It's a matter of him calling you to something better. Never forget that. Never forget that he offers grace to those who are weary, to those who are heavy laden, those who are carrying this, this massive burden of pornography addiction. He loves you and he's waiting for you to come to him. But as long as you continue to come toward him and to pursue him and to seek sobriety, man, he's happy. I think he's happy. You don't have to be perfect in order to be loved. You don't have to be perfect in order to pray to him. In our worst, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he can love us when we're at our very worst, he can love us all the time. 
as I've said before on this podcast, I think like I always ask people, when does God love you more? When you're in church or when you're looking at porn? It's a trick question because God loves you the exact same at all times. Never forget that. God loves you. He's waiting to bless you. And, and getting out of porn addiction is a major blessing. And he wants that for you. He just wants you to humble yourself enough to pursue him thoroughly and fully and 100% all out. Willing to lose yourself to find him. That's what it's all about. And so with this list, once again, I'm going to run through one more time. Number one, this, there's a common myth I'm alone. No, you're not. Number two, porn rarely affects the church. It actually does. Myth number three, porn is just a bad habit, not actually an addiction. It is an addiction. Number four, all Satan wants is for you to think sin is fun. Once again, not true. Satan wants you to believe you're too far gone, that God can't save you. Number five, marriage will fix it. We know time and again from thousands or maybe millions of couples at this point, marriage doesn't fix it. Number six, I watch porn because I'm not being sexually fulfilled. No, you're not being emotionally fulfilled, um, and sex just represents that most of the time. Number seven, I've tried everything. There's no fixing me. No, there is. There is. There's hope. Hold on to the hope that, yes, you can get out of this if we just find the right avenues and work through it. You can get out of this. And number eight, last but not least, God is not happy with me until I've been sober for a long time. Once again, that's a myth. God loves you. He's pulling for you. He's on your side. He cares about you. Um, he wants you to be sober more than anything. And he doesn't hate you. He's not unhappy with you. He's unhappy that we're looking at sin. He's saddened that sin has gotten a hold of us. But he loves you. And so I want you to, to remember that as we come to a close. Just remember that God loves you. He cares for you. And yeah, he's he'll always be there for you. If you have other common myths, feel free to reach out to me. As I've said before, joewilkiecounseling at gmail.com. Some things you want to add or some questions that you have or things that you've been wrestling with, let me know. But as always, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.